as reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, yet... Whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already reached the goal, But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. See, he starts off in uh, this passage in Philippians with um, a metaphor about accounting. And so I thought I'd share with you something that many of you have probably not seen. This is the early register of the Church of the Good Shepherd from the 1880s, 1883, 1886. And in it, you will see... A ledger page with income and expenses, profit and loss, credit and debit, and the balance. And at the front part of it, it's actually um, the pledges that have been given under the names of the pledges. So each page is actually their pledge statement um, that you all receive in the mail. So there are some interesting names. Jazz Prevot is one of them. Lyman Dark, Bark something, can't read his handwriting, is another. So um, if you look through it, you'd find names that are familiar um, from the early days of Maitland. First National Bank. Um, that's, you know, this is all of the, uh, the income. And it's in, um, um, you know, seemingly small amounts to us um, as, as it's brought forward. But it all goes towards... Uh, the operating expenses of this church in the 1800s. That's quite an amazing document. We have a few others with records of baptisms and confirmations and weddings also in the silver safe. So um, that's part of our heritage. The story is told of John Keeble, who was a theologian, the Reverend John Keeble, 
who was one of the uh, Oxford Movement founders in, uh, uh, that's a movement in England that brought back some of what we now consider part and parcel of our liturgy, uh, which are kind of the smells and the bells and the robes and the candles and all of this kind of thing um, that had gone out of usage and the Oxford Movement brought it in. But John Keeble was at Oxford and he became the bursar um, for one of the colleges there. And back in the day, um, um, and now actually, seminary does not give you bookkeeping 101 at all. So you don't learn how to do balance sheets or income and loss statements. Um, you just, uh, so he had difficulty this one particular year. And we're talking quite a long time ago. He was out by almost 2,000 pounds. That's a lot of money back then. And he kept going back over the books and back over the books. And even in today's day and age, those uh, Excel spreadsheets are only as good as the input data, right? Um, You can still make wrong tallies if you put the data in wrong. Well, he... He spent hours over this and finally realized that he'd actually added in the date into his calculations. And so the date was probably around 1820, so it was close enough to, he must have made some other errors in there as well to bring it up to 2000. Um, but Paul's talking about this accounting metaphor at the beginning in this part of his letter to this church in Philippi that he loves so much. And he's talking about his credit column. He starts off with what he can humanly put on his credit column. Well, first of all, he's Jewish. That's a big plus on his credit side of his life ledger. And then secondly, he's a Roman citizen as well. Um, So, you know, another one. He's also, if being part of God's covenant people and family is not enough, he's also of a very special tribe. He's from the tribe of Benjamin, which is a royal line because Saul the king was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day, as every good Jewish boy should be. He's a Pharisee, which means that in the current day sect within Judaism, that's the highest, that's the top you can get to. In other words, he's been born with a silver spoon in his mouth and he thinks that's it. He's the bee's knees. He's the cat's meow. He's got it. Um, There's everything on the credit side of his ledger. And he's zealous. He's been um, uh, a persecutor of the church. He's zealous. And he goes on to say, according to the law, he's righteous. In other words, when he looks at the law, Torah, he thinks that he's filling and he's fulfilling all of Torah law. He believes that he's completely righteous. And so, in other words, what he's basically saying is the credit column of his life is filled and there's nothing on the debit side. Um, There's nothing uh, that he's done that would go on the debit side. But... On that Damascus road, he's encountered someone who puts all that he ever thought was on the credit side of his balance sheet into the debit column. He's put a big red line through it and moved it over to the loss side of his life. 
See, Paul was not going along the road to Damascus thinking, woe is me, I'm a sinner in need of saving. Paul is going along the road to Damascus thinking, I'm going to put those uh, Christians into jail, have them tortured and killed, and I'm a righteous Jew. And they're plain wrong. But on the road to Damascus, he encounters a crucified, risen Lord who claims to be Messiah and God. And he knows that this Jesus had been crucified. But he's encountered him personally on the road to Damascus which makes him think or rethink everything that he ever thought he knew about it, what, what it was to be part of God's covenant people and to be righteous. He then realizes that he is not righteous according to the law, that if God needed to become man and die for us, then the situation of humanity was so much more dire than he could ever think or imagine. It completely put his theology, if you want, on end. It upended everything that he ever thought about the world, and he realized he was not a righteous Jew. If God himself became man, died for us, rose again, and this is the true Messiah, then he has to rethink everything that he thought he knew as a good Jewish Pharisee. And so he says, everything that was on my credit column has been moved into the red. In fact, it's more than a loss. It's just plain garbage it's good for the sewer and nothing else because he's been found by Jesus the Messiah and the King and with him on the credit side of his life he needs nothing else there is nothing that he could possibly humanly put on the credit side of his life that would come close to equaling what it is to have Jesus on the credit side. He said his biggest gain, his biggest profit, that which goes on the credit side of his life's ledger is to know Christ, to be found in him, to know the power of his resurrection and to share in the sufferings of Christ. He's realized, in other words, that membership in God's covenant family, the family of the Jews that came through birth, is not what it's about. To become part of God's covenant family is through the faithfulness of Christ, the Messiah, who was obedient unto death. Christ's faithfulness in his obedience is what makes us covenant members of God when we share in Christ's faithfulness through our faith. 
It's Christ's faithfulness that goes first and his obedience unto death. And by our faith and our trust in his faithfulness and who he is as Lord, that we accrue that righteousness to ourselves. So we accrue that faithfulness to ourselves. In the words of N.T. Wright, our belief that the crucified and risen Jesus is the Messiah, the Lord of the world, and our loyalty to him are the sign and badge that we have a credit balance consisting simply of him over and against all the debts we could ever have from anywhere else. In other words, if you were to list out and recognize all of the sins that you have ever committed, and it goes on, what would in my ledger go on for pages and pages and pages, and there's just one person on the credit side, you'll never be out of balance. Your life will always be in the black, as it were. There is nothing else you need on that credit side of the ledger than being found in Christ Jesus, Lord and Savior. Because all of the rest, all of the red, all of the loss, all of the debit is just wiped off. And you're always in the plus. You're always on the credit side with Jesus there. But what do we do? We keep thinking that we need to be earning our own credit, our own profit, right? We try and put on there our talents or our academic prowess or our finances or um, where we were born or what color our skin is or you name it, anything. We try and put that as the privilege, right? We try and put that on the credit side and and we try and think all of our good works should surely go on the credit side and Paul says no when you've got Christ on the credit side of your life there is nothing else that can go there all of the rest actually goes on the debit side the only credit that we ever need is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. But just because our status is secure doesn't mean that we remain static, that we rest back on our laurels, as it were. We're always in the black with Jesus on the credit column of our lives. But we don't sit back on our haunches. And this is where Paul turns from an accounting metaphor to an athletic one. He says, we're to run towards the goal. We're to go fast towards the goal of our lives. In other words, we're just not hanging around, kicking our heels that we've been made righteous. No, not at all. Christian life is a journey. We talked about this. Christian life is a pilgrimage. Even more than that, Paul says, we, we're athletes sprinting toward the end of the race. We must keep our eyes on the goal. A mature Christian knows they've never arrived. We're always journeying. 
We've never come to the place of destination. We're always on this journey. Neither, he says, are we to be weighted down with what lies behind. Many of you will remember the film Chariots of Fire about Eric Liddell. You remember that amazing athlete and sprinter? He was in a 400-meter race, and uh, he was pushed off of the track. So he's completely on the ground, off of the track, A lot of athletes would just say, you know, that's too fast, there's no way. He was up in a flash. He was up immediately. He sprinted so fast, miraculous to see. He got a wind behind him, his legs pumping, and he moves past the rest of the track. And he inches out ahead and wins the race. He wasn't bowed under by the weight of the fall, by the inequity of what happened to him. He just got up, forgot about what had happened, and had his eyes on the goal and won the race. So what's the goal to which we're sprinting? What is the goal of this journey, this pilgrimage that we are on? Paul says, it's a resurrected life. That's the goal. It's a resurrected life in a transformed world, in resurrected and glorified bodies. That's the goal of life. That's the promise of God. That's the promise of God in Christ Jesus himself. And we're to live in the presence, in the present, in light of that future reality. That future reality is ours, always will be, with Jesus Christ and the credit column of our lives. And sometimes suffering goes along with that. In fact, there is probably not a person here that has not suffered on this journey. Because we still live in a fallen world. And Christ says there will be suffering. There will be pain. There will be suffering. Take up your cross and follow me. But that's not to be gloomy about this pilgrimage. Because the hope and the goal is shining out there for us. And we can live in the present because Jesus is on the credit side of our lives, knowing the future hope that is ours. Because, Paul says, Christ has you. His hand is on you. His hand, his presence is with you and his strong arm is with you is on you. There will be times when we see Christ ahead of us like that shepherd leading the sheep, clearing the path and beckoning us to follow. There will be times when he carries us like that poem, The Footprints in the Sand, where in the dark places we look back and see one set of footprints and cry out, Jesus, where were you? He said, I was carrying you. There's only one set of footprints because it's mine. 
and I will carry you through those dark places. And there are times when he will be beside us, his strong arm around us, encircling us, holding us, guiding us, and protecting us. But we must first decide what, or rather who, we want on the credit column in the ledger of our lives. Is it Christ Jesus? Because he's enough. He's always enough. Amen.